Hi, I'm Chelsea, and I have rheumatoid arthritis. After being diagnosed in 2020, I made it my mission to learn everything I can about different chronic conditions. I didn't want to just read about them, though. I wanted to hear firsthand experiences. So I started this show to educate myself and to raise awareness. Welcome to My Immune System Hates Me. My guest today is Kara, a sex educator and podcaster who has multiple sclerosis. While training to become a sex educator, she was forced to face her own internalized ableism in regard to sex and sexuality. We talk about her experience with MS, how to adjust your sexuality as your body changes, and how kink may be beneficial to the chronically ill. A quick note, this episode contains conversations about sex, sexuality, and briefly, sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, welcome to My Immune System Hates Me. How are you? I am. I am good. We were just talking about that, our automatic mm-hmm. answers. Yeah. yeah. Automatically, you're like, yeah, I'm good. Good. But sometimes, often, you're, it's not. Yeah. It's not great. Not great. <laughs> But in general, physically, I'm I'm doing very, I feel pretty darn good today. Thank you for asking. Good. You're welcome. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Who are you? My name is Kara Griswold, and I am the owner of Joyful Sex Education and the producer of the Pleasure Principle podcast. And I, I have, I feel like I've lived a very full life. So I've done a lot of different things. But in a nutshell, I'm a 58-year-old dyke. Uh, I have two amazing children, and I am the stepmother of two, uh, the evil stepmother of two other, oh. <laughs> <of> two others, <laughs> people, grown people. Um, let's see, what else was I going to tell you about myself? My partner and I live here in Port Townsend, Washington. We moved here just in time for the pandemic. Oh. We we kind of went through Port Townsend, and we were like, oh, we love it. There's hippies and gays everywhere. <laughs> It's my kind of town. <laughs> my kind of town. So, uh, yeah. And we like, it's just so stunningly beautiful. I love it here. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> I am trying to wrap myself up in gratitude today for all the mm. good things in my life. Yeah. It's a good practice. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that I'm on this podcast today is that I have MS. Mm-hmm. What is MS? How does it work? multiple sclerosis. And I will say that you had a guest last year that I thought described it very well. Mm, So people mm -hmm, should mm -hmm. go back and check out that episode if they haven't heard it. But she did a great (laughs) job of of describing it, just really kind of described it in kind of uh, terms of electrical wiring. So Mm. our neurons are covered in sort of an insulation that's called the myelin sheath. And like everybody that's listening to this knows, probably with an autoimmune disease, your body starts attacking different parts of your body, mm-hmm. gets confused or overenthusiastic or something. <laughs> and so in MS, your body starts attacking the myelin sheath on your spinal cord and your central mm-hmm. nervous system. So either on your spinal cord or in your brain. Wow. And it kind of creates these areas where the electrical impulses just don't flow as quickly. So your body just isn't sending the messages or receiving the messages that it needs. Or sometimes if it's bad enough, they can even stop. What has your experience been with MS? So I was diagnosed in uh, 1993. 
but my first episode that nobody knew what it was was actually in 1992 right after the birth of my first child it was optic neuritis and i didn't know what it was it wasn't very bad so it was really just kind of the loss of some peripheral vision like and i didn't even ever have it looked at because it just sort of resolved i woke up one morning and i was it was though someone had drawn a line down the middle of my body from the top of my head all the way down my body and i was numb on one half of my body uh just this numb tinglingness so i made it to the doctor and I thought maybe I had a pinched nerve. They did an MRI and I remember that when the doctor called with the news, he called me and told me because it was the Friday before the 4th of July weekend and he didn't want me to be worrying over the whole weekend, mm -hmm. but I got the news that I had MS over the phone. Oh, wow. And so I have real distinct memory of that moment. Yeah. Anyway, I just basically in that moment, after the kind of the initial shock, like every cell in my body just screamed, mm -hmm. you know, this will not affect me. You know, this is not going to affect me. This is not going to stop me. Yeah. And so that's how I live my life for the next, you know, 15 years. I would get new symptoms. A few years after that, I got a bad flu. And mm. so up until that bad flu, my symptoms had all been either numbness and tingling or maybe some slurring okay. of my words, which is, I'll go ahead and say, this is one of the weird things about having kind of an invisible disease like this, Yeah, is I have this real clear memory of being at the grocery store with my baby on my hip. And I was having an episode where I was having trouble talking. My tongue wasn't working right. Yeah, And so when I went up to the cash register, I was slurring my words. Ugh. And I remember the ca the cashier just like giving me these daggers, like I was this drunk mom at the grocery oh. store with her toddler. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, um, then a couple of years after my diagnosis, I got a really bad flu and a high fever. And so fevers are one of the things, and I don't know if this is the case with RA, but uh, mm -hmm. fevers can really can trigger episodes, oh, okay. um, either relapses or new episodes if you're having those. Mm. So for the first time I had trouble um, with my motor skills just a little bit. It was like my leg, my feet weren't quite, I had to think about where I was putting my feet. Like mm. I, I had always been, I was a dancer. Really? Like not a professional dancer, <laughs> but dancer for fun. Well, I was a yeah. professional dancer, but not like a professional dancer like you. <laughs> wink, wink, okay. nudge, nudge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, think, I think I get it. I think I'm reading between the lines. <laughs> Uh, I was, I'd always been super graceful. And so mm. I just had to think about where my feet were landing. But I just kind of basically pushed through with all of that, pushed through the fatigue. You know, it, it changed my career trajectory. Mm. Had to make some changes to what I thought I was going to do and be. Yeah. But then 15 years after my diagnosis, I just went through a really stressful period in my life. And you know about stress. I heard you talking about that recently. Mm -hmm. And I went through this horrible divorce with my children's father. Oh. And I sold a business. I ended a relationship. I started another one. That one kind of ended. Then I started a second business. And when I was in the middle of starting that second business, my uncle Paul died, who was really more like a father to me than my oh. father, just yeah. suddenly. And then six weeks later, my mom died, his sister. Oh my gosh. And then six weeks after that, I got this MS episode that was never supposed to happen to me. 
Like this was the kind mm. of thing that was like, that's not going to happen to me. Right. And it did. What happened? It started with numbness in my feet, but it was a different kind of numbness. It was like dead wood instead of that surface numbness. It was like my feet were like, I couldn't feel them. Yeah. And that moved up my body and it moved up my body and it moved up my body and it moved up my body. And I would, I went in for steroid treatments and what the, you know, what they do for MS when you have episodes, they uh, inject you with IV steroids, thousand mm -hmm. milligrams. Yeah. And they did it for five days in a row. Wow. And so that was happening, but I was starting this business and I wouldn't stop. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't stop working. Mm -hmm. I kept going to meetings. I kept traveling. I remember I had a friend one time pick me up from the, an infusion center yeah. where I was getting my steroid treatment, yeah. took me to the airport so that I could go to a conference <sighs> that I was determined to go to. And so that was stupid. I'm going <laughs> to say right now, people, this is no, don't know cheering. Oh, isn't that she's so strong. And yeah, no, yeah. because it kicked my ass and it didn't stop until it got to my neck. Mm. And I remember that one day I was trying to type uh, an email to my neurologist to tell them that it was still getting worse, that I was, I, I was starting to have trouble breathing. Yeah. It was affecting my breathing and, um, and I couldn't move my fingers well enough to type. Wow. And so my sister came over and typed this email and I had had like four IV treatments, like those four or five days in a row. They'd yeah. done it like five times. And the <gasps> neurologist was like, sorry. I can't, I can't do Ugh. that anymore. It's going to destroy your, your vital organs. You know, they can't do any more than that. So right. he basically like sent me home. Just <laughs> go home. You can't, you can't move your fingers, but go home. Well, I mean, I couldn't really walk. I couldn't move my, you know, I didn't have control of my arms or my legs. I was having trouble breathing. And so I just went home and I, I was just lying there alone. And I remembered that there were some Tibetan monks in town that were doing blessings for people. Mm. And, but people booked with them for months in advance. <sighs> uh, but I had a friend who was close to them and knew them. And I called her and she got me in for a blessing with these monks. Wow. And I had another friend who was also going through you know, a resurgence of cancer herself. So she came to pick me up and take me to this blessing the next day. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of looked at each other at some point, we we're kind of laughing. We're sort of just like hobbling <laughs> along both of us. <laughs> but, but so I went and I got this blessing with this monk and, you know, I don't remember anything. He took me on this guided meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, So it was in this really hippy dippy place on South Congress Avenue in Austin, a kind of a new agey bookstore place in a back mm -hmm. room. And I sat down on this cushion. No, I didn't. I think I had to sit on a chair. <laughs> anyway, he, um, <laughs> he, he took me through this guided meditation and I, and he, he spoke only Lhasa Tibetan, but he had a translator there. And so the mm -hmm. translator would tell me what he was saying. And it was just this really blissful meditation. And then when it was all over, the only thing that the monk said to me in English was, you know, he looked up at me, he looked at me, he said, do not be afraid. Mm. And he handed me this gold thread that he had been braiding as he was talking to me. Wow. And I put it around my wrist and then I went home and went to bed. And the next day, the doctor called, my neurologist called and he said, you know, in the middle of the night, 
I thought of this new experimental treatment they're doing. <laughs> and so they were starting to do something called plasmapheresis. Do you know what that is? Mm -mm. Okay, so plasmapheresis is, it's sort of like, uh, you can think of dialysis, like they do okay. for kidney failure, except that they take all the blood out of your body and then they separate it, not mm. all at once. She <laughs> yeah. got this horrible look on her face. <gasps> what? <laughs> Not all at once, Chelsea. They do it a little bit at a time. I was like, how does someone survive that? <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. You just kind of lie there flat and like a little bit. No. <laughs> so they take it out a little bit at a time and then they separate the white blood cells from the red blood cells and they toss out all the white blood cells mm. and then they give you new plasma, donated plasma. Wow. Because if people don't know that, where in your immune system, uh, where those white blood cells live is in your plasma. Mm -hmm. And that's where, some, that's where some of them, not all of them. Yeah. And so the, your own immune cells are the problem. So they're like, get rid of them, take them out and oh. give you some new plasma that isn't full of these aggressive, out of control immune cells. Yeah. And so um, I was in the hospital, I think for about 10 days. Wow. And I will say that it was surreal. Later, I understood because the doctor didn't, didn't tell me this at the time, but when I got past it and I was at home, he had told me that he thought he was going to lose me. Really? Uh, he thought I was going to die. And so um, it was a very surreal kind of when you are that close to the veil mm -hmm. uh, between life and death, things are different. You know, things slow down. And I will say that I spent that whole time in the hospital really in a meditative state. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really, I was very lucky. I had a, a room to myself. I listened to this peaceful music all the time. The TV never was on. Mm. I haven't had a TV in <laughs> decades. <Wow. And> so, <laughs> so I listened to this really peaceful music and I did these visualizations. One thing that I have done uh, every day since my diagnosis, just about, is I've taken evening primrose oil. I don't do a whole lot of alternate health stuff specifically for it other than just mm -hmm. eating healthy. But evening primrose oil is an oil that has the fatty acid that is exactly the molecular makeup that your body uses to make the myelin sheath. Like your body doesn't have to do anything to it. It just can take this oil and just splat it on there. That's how I visualize wow, it. Yeah. My, my brother, the scientist, would roll his eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He gets it. <laughs> but anyways, so because the myelin sheath is like just being eaten away, that episode, that lesion, so what they call them when you're having a le and when you're having an episode, it's called a lesion. Mm -hmm. And there's an area on your spinal cord or your brain where there's all this inflammation and because your immune system is eaten away at this myelin sheath. And so I visualize taking these evening primrose oil tablets and then I imagined these little characters in my body mm -hmm. that were taking this fatty acid that I was ingesting. I pictured them like little butch construction workers, you know, <laughs> they were uh -huh. all tough and muscly <laughs> and they were like texturing a wall and they had the, the trowels and everything and the buckets of myelin. So they yeah. were carrying these buckets of myelin up and they were like patching it. <laughs> 
on my neurons. Yeah. And so I had like, I just lay there and like visualize stuff like that, like these yeah. healing things. And so it worked and I, it took me a long time to recover ultimately. Yeah. When I look back on it, I was still in denial. I, I refused. I should have, I should have had a walker. Like mm. I would not like the idea of using a rock walker or a cane. And yeah. we'll talk about this later where that comes from and what that's all about. Like, mm -hmm. no, no freaking way. No, I'm not. No, I'm not <laughs> using a walker and I'm not using a cane. And yeah, yeah, I was bedridden for a while. And because of that episode, I, I lost that business. Mm -hmm. um, I almost lost my house. I lost my sense of self, you know, this, you know, kind of go-getter, badass businesswoman, you know. Right. And, and then when suddenly you can't even really go to the bathroom by yourself, you know. Yeah. Pretty humbling. Yeah. Something that I didn't really realize until recently is when you get these type of illnesses or diagnoses, it does, it changes who you are and your, it changes your future. You, you have to get rid of so many things that, that are no longer possibilities for you. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to let that go. Mm -hmm. Like I, I totally relate with you being like, I'm not going to let this hold me back until it forces you back mm -hmm. and you have no choice. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you made it. <laughs> I'm so glad that you made it past it. Me too. Me too. I made it past that. It took a long time. In fact, you know, it affected me cognitively. I, mm -hmm. you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, I was not thinking well. Like, right. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, when you, um, it changes, there's something about surrender. And that mm. was the lesson that I began to get yeah. through that. Yeah. You know, I think it'll be an, a, an ongoing lesson. And I think about what's going on in the world right now and mm -hmm. with the pandemic and how freaked out people are. I mean, it's a real loss of control. Yeah, definitely. And I think that people who have a chronic illness or a disability are used to that. Right. You know, life is a bitch. Sometimes <laughs> it's really hard and there yeah. is pain and there is suffering and you just learn to stop resisting that eventually, hopefully. Yeah. If you don't, you do to yourself what I did to myself. Right. So many people that I speak to who have chronic illness or something like that, they use their knowledge or their experience to help the chronically ill community. Mm -hmm. I understand that you're starting a new project where you're kind of using your experience with MS combined with your experience as a sex educator, right? Tell us about that. Yes. So at the beginning, I said, I've done so many things, you know, and, and so the skill stacking sorts of things that I have done all my life that have just feel almost like a funnel that has mm. led me to this point in time to do this. So I was a lay midwife in the 80s, and I did some, you know, some basic sex education through those childbirth education classes that we would do. And, you mm. know, and birth is all about sexuality and fecundity, and it's just one of the sexiest things you can do is to, <laughs> is to you know, create a, another human really. Yeah. And so I was a midwife and, um, during that time to, I also to make decent money when I guess I was just a, it, for a period of time, I was uh, just training, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. making a whole lot of money at it. I was a neurotic dancer. I was a stripper uh -huh. and, uh, and that was a really sex positive experience for me. Mm -hmm. Like many people I had, uh, suffered uh, some trauma as a child, 
with Mm -hmm. sexual abuse, sexual assault, and even rape. That was very healing to me. Just a bunch of really sex positive people. Yeah. Yeah. And then my second business that I lost from that MS episode after I sold my production company, I wanted to do something totally different. And I developed a line of personal care products that were to be used to uh, help maintain sexual health. Hmm. creams and lotions and you know they had flower essences in them and everything and I was going to do um, sex education along with that mm-hmm. but I lost that and so when I entered a certified sex educators training program mm-hmm. and I'm still actually going through it it's a oh, wow. it's a pretty it's a very intense uh, program but one of the things that you do at the beginning of it is something called a SAR and that stands for sexual attitude reassessment. And so it is, it's like this two or three day thing that you go to. And there were other classes that I did at the time, but this was two or three days of this really intensive material that is created to push your buttons. Like, Mm -hmm. because if you are any kind of therapist or educator or medical provider, whatever you do, if you haven't worked on your own stuff, and you start trying to help other people, you can inadvertently hurt people by just your own reactions that you're not prepared for. Mm -hmm. So I go into this all cocky because I've been a stripper. (laughs) I'm a dyke. Not only am I a dyke, I'm a leather dyke. I've been in the kink community for like 15 years. Shock me. Okay. Just Okay, come on, shock me. Yeah. <laughs> and so whenever you get cocky with the universe like that, mm-hmm. you know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I should have felt the shadow of the skillet coming down over my head. <laughs> because one of the topics that was covered in that SAR was uh, disability. Mm-hmm. And I went back to my B&B after that day that covered disability And I was deeply shaken, like Mm. on a real somatic sensory level. You know, I was, I was stressed anyway, like I was doing a whole lot. I was pushing myself in ways that were tough when you have something like MS. So I wasn't feeling great anyway, but it was just, I really kind of started feeling like some old symptoms come up Mm. and it was just, it really, really shook me. And what I realized and what I have realized in the years since then is the amount of ableism, internalized ableism that I had Mm -hmm. inside me. And I had a quote out here that I wanted to read to people. Do you you know who Audre Lorde is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you may have heard this quote from her. I'm going to read it for people because it really ties into this for me. And it's from her essay, Uses of the Erotic. The Erotic is Power. And this was published in 1978. And she says, the erotic is a resource within each of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane, firmly rooted in the power of our unexpressed or unrecognized feeling. In order to perpetuate itself, every oppression must corrupt or distort those various sources of power within the culture of the oppressed that can provide energy for change. So, what that's really saying is that the erotic is a really powerful part of us. And we all know that we live in a really erotophobic culture. Yeah. We are shamed for anything sexual unless it is somehow titillating to the status quo. 
mm-hmm. or you can make money off of it. Yeah. You're not supposed to be authentically sexual. And for me, the other thing with people with disabilities or chronic illnesses, a lot of times people really infantilize people with disabilities or sometimes with chronic illnesses when it comes to sexuality mm. because, you know, they can't imagine us being sexual. Right. And I had absorbed that so much and I had really felt like my sexuality was such an important part of me, you know, despite the fact that I was sexually abused and, and assaulted, you know, I took that and I said, you know, screw you. Like I'm going to find the power in my sexuality anyway. Mm-hmm. And so when I got this chronic illness, I had absorbed all those messages about, you know, just certain kinds of people are supposed to be sexual and you're only supposed to be sexual in certain kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really blend the idea of me as a crippled person, as a handicapped person, as a disabled person, and a sexual person at the same time. Those Mm. two things could not fit in my mind. And so I realized through the work that I'm doing as a sex educator, how much I have absorbed that message. And I am ready to let that go. And I'm ready to help other people let that go. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I really do believe that sexuality is an important part for all of us. It's an important part of who we are. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. I had a wonderful guest on early on about why sex education is important. And he talks about, you know, the four things, how we have feeding, fighting, fleeing, and sex. Like those are the four main drives that drive Mm -hmm. us as human beings. And if you take out one of those, sexuality, that's like one fourth of who we are Uh. as people, one fourth of what drives us as human beings. And the other thing that's important for people to understand is when you talk about sexuality or person being a sexual being, I'm not just talking about uh, penis and vagina sex, right? That's not what sexuality is about. Mm-hmm. Sexuality is about sensuality. It is about uh, your connection with your own body and your own skin mm. and all of the ways that you take in the senses, you know, around you. Anyway, I could go on and on. <laughs> so that's why I decided to focus not just on broad sex education, but it, I'm going to narrow my focus to educating people with MS and or people with other chronic illnesses or disabilities mm-hmm. and their healthcare providers. Because the other thing is mm-hmm. that when you have stuff that comes up that has anything to do with sexuality and you go try and talk to your healthcare providers about it, yeah, and it's really not their fault, you know, because they don't teach them how to talk about sexuality yeah. in medical school or any kind of school (laughs) anywhere (laughs) nobody nobody teaches us any of this stuff yeah and so that's what i want to be able to do and i am doing this because i am learning as well yeah i bet it's it's a piece that you wish you had in your process someone to kind of like liaise between the medical and the sexual part of you absolutely absolutely and it's not just healthcare providers it will be you know, everything from working through your own internalized ableism, like mm-hmm. I did, you know, recognizing erotophobia within you, 
your own internalized erotophobia. It might be communication, which is good for anybody, like yeah. how to be self-aware about what your sexual needs are and how are they changing and how can I verbalize that? Mm. And that means for being able to verbalize it with your partner, with your healthcare providers. It means really knowing uh, how to adapt your sexual or sensual life to adjust to our changing bodies. Because the other thing that people with chronic illnesses get that TABs don't, do you know what mm -hmm. TAB stands for? No. Temporarily able-bodied people. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Something's coming for them. <laughs> Something's coming. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not being dark or negative. And like, and that's why the broader community is so uncomfortable seeing us mm -hmm. because we are a reminder of what's coming for everybody. Yeah. Right? right. And being able to adjust what you do sexually as your body changes. And what mm -hmm. I was saying was everybody's body changes. Everybody's body changes through illness, yeah. through aging, um, through injury. We all have to adapt our lives and including our sexual lives. And so I may talk about uh, different toys or tools that people can use to, um, that will, can enhance their, their sexuality or their sexual mm -hmm. life, but even more so just your mindset, because that yeah. of course is your most powerful sexual organ. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have... Uh, any like general advice for people who have these types of chronic illnesses? I think that some of the three most important things that I would say are first is mindfulness, like being present, being mindful, not disassociating because disassociation is a very effective tool sometimes in crisis and it's just fine, but you don't want to live that way. You want to live in your body in your present moment, because if you're not doing that, you're not going to be listening to your body and mm. you're not going to be paying attention to what your body is telling you to do. And it's full of wisdom. Yeah. Your body is full of wisdom. And so you need to listen to it. Mm -hmm. So just embracing where you are and what you need in the moment. Then I would say as far as sexuality, despite the things that we deal with on an everyday basis is maintaining a sense of openness and adventure. Mm. Sexuality, like I talked about, and, uh, and sensuality encompasses so much. And we have these limited ideas of what it is. Some people can be turned on by intelligence, like a thoughtful conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a word called sapiosexuality. And that oh. is someone who gets turned on by an intelligent conversation. And yeah. I certainly have felt that, you know, when I right. you know, meet someone that's really smart, I'm like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> you know, it's so, yeah. like, so that is, and that's kind of an eroticism of the mind, you mm. know, it turns you on. There's uh, like ecosexuality, which is being turned on by nature around you. Like sometimes the moon, when the moon shines on me, mm -hmm. or when a storm blows through me, it's a surge of, of eroticism that is different than just what we think of as sex. Yeah. And, you know, and then alternative sexualities. And that can mean everything from bringing a little feather into the bedroom or some padded fuzzy cuffs or something like whatever mm -hmm. turns you on is okay. And if that's just a bubble bath mm -hmm. and a massage, then that's okay. If it is something more edgy or kind of kinky, then that's okay too. And honestly, and I, I will promise to put this out there in my podcast at some point, because I don't have the data, 
right now to back uh-huh. up what I'm about to say, <laughs> but I believe that there's a pretty high percentage of people that have some kind of chronic pain or chronic illness mm-hmm. that are into what people would call kinky behavior. Yeah. And I think that maybe in part it is because um, we're not afraid of the dark. We're not afraid of facing pain. Mm-hmm. You know, we're there all the time. And so sometimes it can be that it might take a little bit extra sensation for someone with Mm -hmm. some particular disability or disease that they have, that they might need different types of stimulation. Yeah. I also feel like that's a place where you can have control of your pain because you're like, this isn't happening to me. I'm allowing this to happen or requesting for it to happen. That's very astute because that is actually one of the things that I was absolutely going to say that is absolutely true. Yeah. It is t- learning to take your pain and play with it, which mm-hmm. is actually a Charlie Chaplin quote. But oh. anyway, <laughs> and uh, that's how what he says comedians do. But mm-hmm. that can be applied with, you know, if you're playing with pain and then endorphins, mm. certain types of play or, you know, BDSM activities bring up can raise levels of endorphins that are pain relievers. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, or, and certainly the sense of control, playing with releasing control in a safe context, Mm -hmm. releasing control to someone that you know uh, that you're going to be safe. Mm -hmm. I will say that if people are interested in that, it's very, very, very important that you find a group of people who are educated and intelligent about it Mm -hmm. and conscious about it. And you can certainly uh, listen to my podcast (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that will be, I will certainly talk about that sometimes. I mean, I hesitated about coming out. So there's all kinds of different ways that we can decide to come out or not. And coming Mm -hmm. out as a kinky person, I debated about as a sex educator because I didn't want Mm -hmm. people to just see me as that. Yeah. Like, Oh, she just talks about kinky stuff. No, no. I mean, that, that's not it. That's not all. But yeah. I do have a lot of knowledge about it. I do believe that it has been a powerful healing force for mm. me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I actually even have a couple of episodes when I talk with a, a leather dyke and kind of learned really what a leather dyke is. Yeah. And, and then I talk about extreme ritual. Mm-hmm. transformation through extreme ritual. And I'm talking with people that are using some of the activities that we're talking about to reach those altered states. Wow. Um, where can people find this podcast? They can find it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at Joyful Sex Ed. And on Instagram, there's a profile and I have a link tree Mm-hmm. Link and it takes you to, you know, links for my podcasts. I occasionally, a- after I have a podcast, I do a live Q&A with my podcast guest. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I might have come to one of those. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, people can find me that way. You can always email me at joyfulsexed at gmail.com. And if you have any questions or want to learn more or you want to sign up for a newsletter, which I send almost every month, but I promise I don't inundate people with just (laughs) trash. I don't. Well, great. I will link all of these in the show notes of the episode. So if you're listening, you can just go and click on all of those things. This was very insightful. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, and we'll be talking more on your podcast. Yes, we will. That's right. I'm glad you said that. I didn't know if you wanted to come out as a guest on my podcast. Oh. 
<laughs> I'm out now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Kara. Bye. All of Kara's links are in the show notes. Don't forget to check out the Pleasure Principle podcast. You may hear a familiar voice on the most recent episode. Thanks for listening to My Immune System Hates Me. You can rate and review the show in your podcast app, or you can visit our website, myimmunesystempod.com, to review the show, apply to be a guest, listen to old episodes, or to get in contact. You should also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at myimmunesystempod to stay up to date on any news. And a quick disclaimer before we go, any information discussed in this podcast is strictly my opinion and those of my guests and are for informational purposes only. We are speaking from our personal experiences and you should always consult with your doctor or medical team. Bye!